Good morning, Sarah Hepla. Good morning. Is is that you, Nancy Rommelman? I know. It's been a minute. It's been it's been more than a minute. Um, we really have not seen each other or spoken. Or we've sent a few texts in, gosh, at least a week, right? I've missed you. I missed you too. Um, I have been on the road. I've put another couple of thousand miles on my, uh, actually not on my car. I have a rental car at this particular time, but um, I did, uh, I'm not going to uh, name the publication or even exactly the story. That's a sort of rookie error you learn when you first become a journalist. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to have this awesome story and blah, blah. And then something happens and the story doesn't run for some reason. But um, I did leave uh, New York City, uh, I guess it was a week ago yesterday. Uh, I came to the Midwest, came to Kansas. I'm in Tulsa right now. And I, I will just say that um, it's for it's a, for a big publication that everybody's heard of. And it's, it's a pretty big piece. And uh, I've been working kind of hard. We haven't had a chance to, um, to see each other or, or talk, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it today. And what have you been doing, my lady? Um, yeah, well, I've been stranded here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I've been working on some other stories. Uh, my cheerleader story for Texas Monthly is coming out soon. It's going to be the cover of the September issue. Oh, okay, so, that's b- September issue. Yeah, so it's we'll link to that issue. when that when that comes out. Um, but yeah, I uh, you know you posted something on Instagram about uh, your love of road trips. Mm-hmm. And this was something that I relate to deeply. You know, you and I, I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this, but I just absolutely love driving. Oh, man. Um, oh, man. Oh, man. I, I had a little uh, post. I can't remember. Maybe it's on Instagram. Uh, I Because so I, I, something happened. It was about, I mean, I always have loved getting in the car for a story. You land someplace, you get in the car, you're just literally driving into the unknown. It both mm-hmm. re- physically and, and metaphorically. And it's a, it's an amazing feeling. And it's something, it's a real privilege as a, as a journalist to do this. Um, but starting in about 2019, when I drove cross country from Portland to New York, I don't know what happened. Some switch flipped in me and my driving has become, I mean, I, I've, one day I drove a thousand miles. It's not that I wanted to, I'm, I'm happier in the sweet spot of about 600. But right. uh, when I was driving back, um, when I finished my reporting in, in Kansas, I was coming to Tulsa. I'm at my daughter's right now. She's here doing another, she's doing a movie here, uh, set decorating a movie. And um, I was literally looking for the smallest roads I could take, so it would take longer. Um, and and I and I think I posted in my Instagram that if if there is a heaven, if it involves just driving mostly empty American roads, where you just stop like every four hours at a gas station uh, to like pee and get a a snack, and then you just do that for eternity, I'm good. I I I would love that. <laughs> You know, I share this with you. I don't know what it is about road trips. There's something about it that I feel like I can stay ahead of my mind or something like that. It's really a meditative state for me. Um, It's like you're hurt, like, because I'm always struggling with this, like, constant racing brain that turns against itself. And for me, I don't know what it is. There's something interesting about traveling uh, on a on an open highway at you know 70 miles an hour that i just feel completely at peace and i don't have this racing brain problem um 
you know, and, and also, you know, I can't tell you the number of times when I've been stuck on a story and then, and I won't leave my laptop, you know, and then I get in the car to go driving and, and the idea just like pops into my head. Oh, it's, so there's, I think there's like three places uh, for people where they, for me, I'm walking, you, you get your ideas. I used to, I used to be a runner and I would, uh, I would have to stop and take notes <laughs> because the story that you're working on all of a sudden things come to you in the shower. This is very, very common for people to things to unbudge in the shower. Uh, our friend, David Ranson, we love you, David. He's a big listener and he always sends us nice notes. Um, he actually put like a, some kind of like whiteboard in the shower where you can write on cause he's a, he's a very good writer. Um, and then, um, and driving, uh, I, 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 when I would be driving with my husband, I'd always be like, do you have paper? Is there paper in the car? Is there paper in the car? Because yeah. you have to get your, your notes. And well, there's also, um, there's also the thing, um, the worst, absolute worst condition for me, just like in my own mind, not external things happening is aimlessness. When you feel like a cat in a cage and you can't, you don't know yeah. what to do. And there's also the thing with when you have a baby or a crying child, um, you change their location. I mean, there is the whole thing. You put them in the car to drive because it puts them to sleep, but just change the location. If you're standing there in your kitchen with your baby screaming, grab the baby, walk outside. It, it, it changes the dynamic. Um, yeah, it's just, you're also, you're just driving into, um, into possibility. And also, I guess for us, we're also, um, we're, we're driving into the story. The story is telling itself to us and you're about to meet people that you've never met. And it's just, uh, it's very, you don't have time to do a lot of other things except to just be there while you're doing it. And, um, I, I also find, I wonder if you have this, so I, I pack very small. I always just take a very small amount and I've noticed now I literally could have packed literally one skirt, one top, one pair of shorts. That's and a, and a pair of sneakers. That's that's all I need. Oh, and my hair dryer, of course. But um, because right. <laughs> my hair has to look nice. But um, I, I you just don't need anything. You just again your laptop. And that's interesting. You know, actually, I I do the opposite when I'm in a car. You know, I'll tend to just like pile a bunch of stuff in there because you have extra room so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just dump a bunch of stuff I'll always end up with like books like seven books and I only I, read one of them and you know like I've got like all these different clothes for different you know temperate zones and it depends yeah. on what kind of trip you're taking of course yeah I had the skirt for the interviews because I had to do a lot of interviewing including in a church and you know I wanted to you obviously have to look kind of nice but right now I'm sitting in my cutoffs and the and the one top I've been wearing the whole time yeah. so um yeah uh, so, and I'm so what can you tell us about uh, you know the story that you were writing sure. or what you were looking into? Because you sure. went to Kansas and Kansas, you know, there's a very specific reason why you went to Kansas and Kansas yep. has been in the news. Yep. So the kind of working title in my brain, I have no idea what they'll they'll title it um, at the publication, um, is what happened in Kansas. It started as what the heck happened in Kansas. So um, on the 2nd of August, uh, the legislature, um, there was a, a primary. And on one of the things um, uh, Kansans were asked to vote on was something called the value them both uh, amendment. And this was something that would amend the constitution. So I didn't know this, and I'm probably the majority of Americans don't know it, but people, the Kansans have been trying to get this value them both um, amendment to the Constitution for a while, since at least 2019, when 
the Supreme Court in Kansas voted down. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it was they were voted down, but there was something they were trying to get uh, that would say there is no constitutional right to a woman to have an abortion in the state of Kansas. And the reason I guess states do this is because people are always afraid Roe v. Wade would be overturned. And you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you have certain things on the book that are going to permit, um, you know, abortion within certain parameters that the state will decide. And, you know, we know that in New Jersey, it's 40 weeks. And we know that uh, in Missouri now, which is which is just to the east of Kansas, um, there is basically no provisions um, for abortion. It, it is completely illegal, except in the case of the life of the mother. So value them both, basically, if you voted yes on value them both, it meant that you were saying, nope, no constitution, no Kansas constitutional protections. And if you voted no, it meant you wanted to keep whatever protections were already in the state constitution. Well, this is a very confusing way that they wrote this, because people that voted if you voted no, you might be thinking like, yes, I'm against abortion. Right, 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 right. right. And this definitely, definitely was the case for some uh, Christians, as far as I understand it, who are, who are pro-life. Um, well, let me just explain what happened, which is why, why I'm thinking of it as what the heck happened in Kansas. It is almost two to one Republicans to Democrats in the state of Kansas. The numbers are a little squishier than that, but, you know, kind of in there. Um, 76% identify as Christian, and then people identify as other um, religions. Um, the the no, meaning if you voted no, you wanted to protect the protections in the in the Constitution, it, it won by two to one. So right. how do you get that math, all right? If the state is two to one, basically Christian and, and Republican, but it's voted down. So, yes, there was some confusion, but bigger story, which I, I, and then, you know, I have to be very careful to not say, well, I'm projecting, this is what I think it looks like to me. I talked to a lot of different people. I went into blue areas and purple, if that's such a thing, and red. Um, Kansans do not want to be told what to do. Right, right. Yeah, that was what I saw. Um, I mean, I had heard some of this that like, basically, they had used a lot of the language that had been around uh, you know, like, like don't masking and in some ways, uh, vaccinations, you know, in, mm. in other words, I want to do with my body what I want to do with my body. And, and th- the same logic that had been applied to that one side was also being applied to the, you know, pro-abortion. I'm not, I'm not, I'm it, being no, inarticulate. It, Sorry. You're, you're, you're saying it, you're saying it correctly though. Um, it's the case that the legislature, st- and, and, and I think what might've happened and I, and I could be wrong about this is that, you know, we were hot on the heels of Roe being overturned. This caused a lot of excitement in some quarters from people that are not happy about Roe v. Wade, who are, you know, whether they're pro-life or they just th- think that that particular it just didn't it didn't work didn't fit with their state obviously you had the pro-choice people extremely agitated and there was a very big movement including here in Kansas to make sure that there would be protections however i think the legislature was like aha it's our move it's our moment we've tried two if not three times to get this value them both 
thing through and it's lost every single time. So now is our moment, man. We're going to get in there. You know, it's hot. We've got the momentum with us. And basically what I was told by a lot of people, even people that, you know, weren't necessarily like super pro-choice to like, I'm not handing the legislature all this power. I am not right. doing this. You are, you are, you've got to, you've got to let the people decide. Well, the people decided resoundingly. And so that's very, very interesting. I'm not going to scoop myself. I will just say I talk to all kinds of people um, about their feelings about this, medical people and church people and, and just, you know, regular old citizens. Uh, the one thing I will say, because it pings off what you just said, is one guy said, well, I got to tell you, I think we had some Second Amendment people here, the gun guys, that's what he called them, the gun guys, who were like, okay, you know what? You keep your hands off my guns. I'm going to keep my hands off your body. And I I think that makes sense. I mean, I can't, don't you think that kind of makes, I can't say that for sure, but- it's like we gotta have some autonomy here, guys. And I, I, I mean, if that's not that's not the whole of it, but it's it's part of it, I think. Well, I found it so fascinating because I've also seen um, similar logic being used on both sides on the gun issue and the abortion issue. You know, I think I've brought that up on the show before, um, and so I found it to be very, very canny on the part of uh, the activists in Kansas that were that were you know positioning it that way and i also thought that it it was very encouraging for a place like texas you know um texas is a place where the majority of of people that have been polled about the the trigger ban that's going to be going into place here at the end of the month um are against it uh you know i feel like that logic would also work here and so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've, I found Kansas but, very encouraging. Well, then they have to, they have to put it to a vote in Texas, right? right? And so the, and so I'm glad you brought that up. So Missouri did have a trigger law. I think, I, I guess I mentioned that that trigger law went into effect as soon as Roe was overturned and you can't, the interesting thing. So I had a funny thing happen. I think I told you, I, um, I was asked to co- go to Texas and uh, this all happened literally like at noon, I started talking about with my editor and I was on a plane at five o'clock that night and I, I booked a ticket and I, I needed to go to Kansas City, Kansas and I got it and I got my ticket and I get the Delta sends me my confirmation. I'm like, oh no, oh no, I, I booked it for Kansas City, Missouri. And right. I went in to like go undo my ticket. I'm like, well, how far are they maybe get a car? It's like, three miles. I was like, oh, okay. That's where the, the airport is. That's how stupid I am. But um, Kansas but, City is legitimately confusing. Like it's legitimately okay. in two different states. Okay. I, I was driving around because um, my godmother, I, I never see her, but she's so lovely. And I, I got in touch with her. She's like, oh my God, I'm going to see you. So she drove me around and she's like this. I was like, oh, because of Kansas and Kansas. No, this is Missouri. We literally, there's something called State Line Road. Okay. It's literally a street with like a deli. I mean, there's, it runs all through the, the city, but it's, it, it's just, it's right there. And I actually got something wrong in my, in my copy. And the guy's like, well, where is it in Kansas city, Kansas? I was like, it's in, oh shit, it's Missouri, <laughs> but you don't know yeah. because you're constantly, you're constantly crossing the, uh, crossing the state line. So, but yes, I mean, you doctors now, uh, if a woman comes in, uh, with an emergency and she it needs an ectopic pregnancy, let's say, and she's on the Missouri side, they, they're going to send her to Kansas. They can't do anything. They can't legally do anything because if if they do 
treat her because it's a medical emergency. This is incredible. Um, they have they have to be documentation that that gets a get sent to Jefferson City, which is the capital of Missouri. And then someone there, some bureaucrat decides whether it was a real emergency or not. And if they decide that it's not, I mean, who knows how many weeks or months or whatever later this is, then the doctor can be prosecuted. This is, this is just, this is ridiculous. So you, you literally just send someone who is in a medical emergency across the state line, which thank God is very close. Um, this is not going to be the case, I'm sure, in every part of Kansas. I mean, Kansas is, wow, a lot of Kansas is pretty empty. I got to tell you, I drove a lot of roads where I didn't see another car for, you know, 10 miles. So anyway, that, but that's been, it's been, um, it's been my privilege to come in and talk to people. Uh, I have to tell you, people have been amazing amazing. There has been no shouting, none, zero. And this is such a, a, a contentious issue in America and has been for 50 years, if not longer. And it was very, very interesting. And I, and I, I hope that I can, um, I think the story is going to run next week. Of course, we'll blast something out about it. Um, but I was really, I was really, um, I re- again, it's, it's, a, it's an overused word, but I felt very privileged to be able to come out here and, and try to tell the story. Well, I'm so glad that you're covering that. And I'm very fascinated with the post-Roe landscape. And now that that the the this law has been kicked back to the states, you know, how are the states going to figure that out individually? And it's been really strange here in in Texas, you know. Um, recently, one of the things that's happening is that the cities, Dallas is included in this, are kind of passing legislation that they're going to, you know, they're not going to be using government resources to investigate abortions. Um, because one of the concerns, yeah, one of the concerns here is that this, this trigger ban is going to, um, criminalize abortion. So this is like recently there was a vote to limit government resource. It, it, it's going to bar city workers from like keeping records or giving out information. So what is the trigger law? What is, work. what is the trigger law in Texas? What is it? What is it? Is it, what is it allowing anything? Is it, I mean, is it pure, is it like the Missouri law, purely medical emergency? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure it's like a, like it's like a 1925, law that is yeah. is banning most abortions with very few exceptions. Yeah. Well, you know, there's also, I mean, there are there are certain people that are like life of the mother, no. No. Well, we're not gonna and how can you decide that it's life of the mother and it's God's will? I, I, I spoke with the I spoke with it's interestingly, I spoke with someone who's quite, quite, quite pro-choice and someone who is quite, quite, quite pro-life. And I had the same conversation with both of them. It's like, well, if a if a a woman has let's just use ectopic pregnancy, which, which in fairness, um, someone who's very religious said to me, you know, we we always use these examples. These are not these are not the majority of abortions are not because someone has an ectopic pregnancy. Most most abortions are elective. Right. Okay, okay, we we accept that. Um, but you know, if you there are literally people that are like, well, you know, it's God's will. She's gonna bleed out on that floor. It's like, yeah, but what about? wasn't it God's will that you had a doctor there that like went to medical school that could save her life? And even of course the super pro-life people are like, yes, that is God's will too. And you have to, you can't let women die. Nobody that I spoke with, and I'm, I'm not saying they're not here. Nobody that I spoke with in Kansas wants women to die. Okay. And, and even it's like, who would want this? Like who, who could possibly want this except like a monster? Are there some monstrous people? Of course there are some monstrous people, but you know, 
we, it, 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 in, in the case of, of what's happening in Missouri, where they're only allowing for the life of the mother, this is, this is health care. This is not, this is not abortion. This is health care. And you've got to, you've got to be able to save people anyway. You're reminding me that I, I listened to a really interesting podcast on the daily, which is the New York Times, uh, yep. you know, regular daily podcast hosted by Michael Barbaro. And, um, you know, it was a really interesting one. I'll link it in the episode notes. It it followed two women that had gotten pregnant at 16 and they were both poor. They were both um children of single mothers. And one of them had the child at 16 and one of them had an abortion. And what was really interesting about their story is that each of them felt in their case that they were kind of denied a choice. (gasps) Um, And so they end up, each of them ends up on the other side of the debate. So the young woman that has her child at 16 felt like she wasn't made aware that there were other options. Um, she loves her daughter, but she wishes that she had been had a choice. And so she becomes an advocate for the choice side. Mm. Um, the young woman at 16 who does have an abortion, um, she becomes a very vehement uh, pro-life advocate. And watching the ways that their personal story kind of intersected with their politics and how it evolved, it's very fascinating. It's also, it's also so difficult. And I'm so sorry, it's so heartbreaking in so many instances, like on both sides of this story, to either feel like, I mean, okay, I'm, uh, I'm not going to delve into this except to just say like birth control guys, like use birth control and, and avoid this as you can there will accidents will happen of course but it's just so emotional and it's physical and it's spiritual and it's it's intellectual and it's just it's legal and it's just every it's just so there's there are reasons why this is such a hotly contested issue and um if we could just make it so girls and women you know don't have to to um walk into this if they don't have to it will be a it will be a it will be a better day Well, interesting that you brought up uh, contraception because, you know, that's been one of my questions is, you know, how is this changing the landscape for couples and people having sex? And um, one of the things that has come up is that it seems like it's possible that vasectomy is on the rise. Um, You know, I wonder if that is um, sort of tied to sort of progressivism if like I just remember being um when I was in Portland and the sort of progressive drumbeat was beating so 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 very loud and um a lot of men uh young men were uh kind of very very loudly you know proclaiming their they're proclaiming their feminism which always it was always there was always like a, a discordance here but in any case, I wonder if they're being convinced um, that, listen, I've been bearing this for a long time. I've been bearing the weight of, of having to have a child that I might not want to have since, since, since time began, and now it's your turn. I wonder if that's sort of falling on receptive ears. 
Well, yeah, I think a few things are going on. I also think that like, I mean, I don't know if I were a guy and, you know, I were living in a state where abortion wasn't legal. I mean, this really does raise the stakes for casual sex. And if you're with somebody and she's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm on I'm on the pill. I mean, you are outsourcing a lot of your agency there. You know, like this has not been something that has been equally distributed. Um, so to the vasectomy thing, I mean, you know, look, this is speculative, but this was a story in the guardian that said that searches for where can I get a vasectomy had swelled 850% after the Roe opinion leaked. Um, and that a lot of that was coming from Texas, interestingly enough. Um, Uh, I think there's something too. So my dad had a vasectomy, I think when he was maybe 50, I mean, he, you know, he was 25, I think, when I was born, 27 when my brother was born, and he didn't want any more kids. And and I think I think got remarried, something like 50. I don't really remember exactly. And uh, he got a T-shirt that said, with a tomato on it, and it said, all juice, no seeds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but um, he, for him, it was easy. Like, he'd had his children, and there was no, there was no way he wanted any more children. For a young man, I think that would be, I I think it would be an impossible decision to make. Now there are, as far as I remember, and this was decades ago, I remember seeing this, that there's almost like a little like spigot, like um, you can like, you can have a vasectomy reversed. Well, yeah, you can have a vasectomy reversal. It's not a permanent, necessarily a permanent procedure. It's not uncomplicated. Um, Yeah, no, it's your penis. I mean, right? Yeah, right, right, right. right. (laughs) Shit. You can do this. Um, but, But this whole story actually made me curious why there is no male contraceptive. Um, you know, and so I looked into that a little bit. Oh, um, what? Tell me. This is amazing. I never, I never thought about this. I do yeah, have something funny to say. Though, I, I have thought about it a lot over the years. I mean, you know, like, I think it, it's understandable that uh, contraception has been designed for women, given that they're the ones that carry the burden, the physical burden of pregnancy. But it is a little bit strange to me, I think, that, that, um, you know, basically you have two options, which is a condom um, and vasectomy. And so I found a, uh, a Washington Post piece from earlier this year that was looking into this very question. And it basically said, you know, look, the funding is very limited on this. And it's been, you know, always framed as a women's issue. And, uh, you know, the, the funding was focused on expanding women's options. And so, and in some ways, it, part of the, the problem here was that the pill was just so successful that there was this sense that maybe it wasn't even needed. Um, but they are starting to um, research more male contraception. There are some that might be coming to the market soon. One is a hormonal gel that's applied to men's shoulders and upper arms once a day, and that's in a phase two trial. Um, and then there's also a non-hormonal pill uh, that they're going to start trials on this year. And and the problem with that is that with it's, it's, there's a biological, like it's biologically more complicated to prevent this in men because with women, you're just trying to prevent the release of an egg once a month. 
It's right. just one thing, you know. Right. But with men, you're trying to keep the sperm coming out every day, and there's like millions. Well, there's billions. I mean, the thing is that you'd basically, I, I don't know, you read the article, you'd be, you'd be having them shoot blanks. So you're going to have the sperm are going to be there. The sperm are going to be, I mean, I, maybe they could stop the creation of sperm. I don't know. I have a funny, I have a funny thought about that. But anyway, um, I mean, you'd have to make the sperm, you'd have to inactivate the sperm. That seems yeah. kind of nutty. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, um, awesome. What would the side effects of that be? Because so that- okay, so there was actually a trial that they were doing, and the side effects were kind of bad. Like there were yeah. a lot of migraines and nausea, and so they shut it down. Uh, and that got some some grief from you know women's groups because of course you know hormonal pills have a lot of side effects for women yeah. too. Yeah. Um. You know you can't you can't do any of this without side effects. Did you have side effects from taking the pill? You know, I didn't. I was really I lucky in that regard. I, I didn't. One of the reasons I liked taking the pill was that it just, you know, it seemed to sort of jibe with my system and I never had that problem. However, I had friends that had terrible problems on it. I took the mini pill, which I, I guess it's just a lower dose that worked for my build or my body or whatever. And I never, I never, and the nice thing about it is that you got your period at the same time every month, which I never. I mean, if I did previously, I didn't know. I never was much of checking when exactly. I just kind of knew when it was going to come. Um, but yeah, I never had any. I never had any problems with it. But yeah, some people it's it's awful and just they feel horrible and sick and sad and depressed and weight gain and all this. So yeah, it depends. Um, yeah, guys make billions of sperms, and this. So here's my uh, here's my uh, here's my hot take on that. You know how like dudes sometimes fall asleep right after you like have sex sure if they ejaculate so my my theory is that like they got to shut down because the sperms are like we got to get we got to we got to we got to work back we got to like we got to replenish ourselves go to sleep for 10 minutes dude (laughs) we got work to do (laughs) yeah i mean your body is replenishing (laughs) that's right it's like i gotta check out here guys i i I got i got work to do here my boys gotta get to work so fill it up um, again fill it up again um well, it will be interesting to see. Um, and I and I did when I spoke with people, I'm like, well, what do you think is going to happen now? Do you think, I mean, I think, uh, well, I know because I read it. I read it, not just legislatures in Kansas, but around the country, but like kind of like, oh, gee, hi. Oh, wait a second. We didn't really mean it when we said we wanted to like have these absolutely across the board draconian laws for women. It's like, yeah, what were you saying exactly? And people paid attention to it. People paid attention to it on the coasts too. It's like, what just happened in Kansas? But when I spoke with some people, I was like, well, do you think people are going to backtrack or you think they're going to double down the, 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 uh, opinion seemed to be that they would double down, that Kansas was going to try to really make things um, stricter, which is really weird because you've got, not weird, but unfortunate because you've got Missouri to the east and Oklahoma to the south, and these are have some of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. So in a sense, Kansas becomes like a sanctuary state, right, for women. Absolutely. That, yeah. Right, I right. mean, it's a little island. And, you know, Wichita, yep. Kansas is the closest place that somebody from Dallas can get an abortion right now. So we'll see. I mean, I'm gonna... Not close. Although, you know, can I mention something that I found that was really interesting? I read a story on the rise of crisis pregnancy centers here in Texas. You know, this is mm-hmm. these are basically the alternative to the ab- abortion centers that, you know, they, they're getting tons of federal funding now. 
Um, you know, this was a story that talked about like this, this crisis, pres- the, the, the funding had gone from 5 million in 2006 to 100 million in 2022. Yeah. Um, and this one was one that was being built on the coast um, in Corpus Christi, uh, which is on the southern coast of Texas. And, you know, they're getting very like they're trying to make them sort of like coastal spas. You know, these were places that just basically oh. like handed out pamphlets and they didn't have much of a, you know, a, a presence. But but what's happening is that that some of the places like like um I think it's called like whole women's lives. I forget what it is, but it's one of the abortion providers. Like they're moving to New Mexico now. Okay. Um, and so these crisis pre- pregnancy centers are getting all this funding. And this one was going to have nine counseling rooms and six sonogram rooms and a man cave with a pool table uh, where apparently men will be approached by a certified marriage counselor as they wait for the women they impregnated. I mean, it's this whole... What? deal that was is that's a that, is that a little weird is that i mean i don't yeah. know like why are you what 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 who the fuck is this i got a weird feelings about marriage counseling anyway across the board but like what why are you why are you talking to this man because he got somebody pregnant who the fuck are you to get in the way no, of I their have, i have weird feelings about this whole thing and there's tons of money going into them despite the fact that there's very little transparency and accountability and metrics at these places um this was the first story where i actually heard also that they are trying they, they want to offer what's called abortion reversal Um, Over the next few years. So this is something where they inject the hormone progesterone after you've taken the hormone pill. But this is something that has been very dangerous. Yes. I I don't understand. You This is basically basically somebody that's taken the abortion pill and changed their mind. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is just, it's too much. So... Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And, you know, they they did they did uh, trials on this and the 2019 clinical trial was stopped because patients were hemorrhaging so severely. So anyway, I mean, you know, a lot of this is uh, I, we know that we're headed for very scary, complicated territory. But um, that was just one wrinkle that I hadn't heard before. But this was what I wanted to share because I thought this was really fascinating. There there was a woman named Meg Autry, and she's an OBGYN based out of the University of California at San Francisco. And she plans to sail a vessel into the Gulf of Mexico to provide abortions to women on federal waters, nine miles out to sea. I've heard this before too. I don't think it's just her. I think a lot of, you know, the, 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 the oceans are, are very lawless. I mean, they are, they're not, they're not, uh, and I'm not just saying like, okay, so there's federal waters nine miles off of the Gulf of Mexico. They're uh, across the globe. There's a, there's a really good book called the outlaw ocean by uh, William Langesweisha. And he goes into a lot of how this works. I mean, you'll notice like if there's a boat boat and it's like, it's a Dutch whatever ship, but actually it's registered in Corsica, but the owners in Athens, it's absolutely, it's absolutely opaque on purpose because the, the, the oceans are lawless. In any case, I've heard this too. I've heard that, I think it was even off of New Orleans, they were going to have a boat or ship where women could go and have an abortion because you were in, you were in federal waters. Well, I don't think this is a terrible idea. I mean, I have my own complicated feelings on abortion, but you know what? You have to 
provide things for women. And if this is the way you're going to do it, and it's seven miles, as opposed to having to drive, as you say, from Dallas up to Wichita or wherever it was, that, not Wichita, I'm right. sure that you're not allowed to uh, Topeka. Where did you say in Kansas was the closest place to uh, I did say Wichita. For, I feel like that's what I had read, but you know, I'm not great on Kansas yeah. geography, so I, case, you know, I don't know. I was in Wichita, Kansas, Kansas, yeah, Kansas. Anyway, um, yeah. So I, I'm, I, I, you know, that that it's, but still, wow. Can you imagine the scenes on on land? Well, and, I'm fascinated. This is the first I time mean, I'd heard that, and so I was yeah. fascinated by the idea of those starting. It was very interesting. Um, I have to say, I have never been. Abortion has never been an issue I've covered. It's never been something that I was like, oh man, I really wish I could cover this issue. But um, it's found me and I am going to, um, I'm going to stay on it as, um, mm-hmm. as, as people want me to. So yeah. And, and good. it's really, you should. Yeah. You should. And, it, and I think it's good for me to do this too, because I have sort of, you know, complicated feelings about abortion, mm-hmm. which I think basically are about where 70% of the country lives. So they're really not that complicated. <laughs> they're probably pretty common, but it's not what you really, really hear um, from whatever, you know, extreme left or extreme right. So, um, so yeah, I've been here and now I'm here in Tulsa and kind of hanging out. Uh, with my kid who uh, is working on a um, on a movie, and in a minute, some of her uh, assistants are going to be coming and grabbing some props from, that are sitting inside the house. So uh, we'll hear them um, stomping in and out, and then I'm probably head back to New York on Sunday. Not really, not really sure yet. I like being here. I'm working on a porch here, which is absolutely beautiful. It's balmy, and um, I've been able to get really good work t- done here. So. Well, one of the things that happened in the past week uh, that you and I haven't gotten a chance to talk about is that a um, a childhood muse of mine mm. has passed away. Tell us about her, Sarah. Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Olivia Newton-John, um, or as she was sometimes known, Olivia Neutron Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an, a nickname. <laughs> you were a child of the 70s or the early 80s. I mean, this was somebody that was inescapable. And, you know, my one of my first records that I ever owned was like a double vinyl album of the Grease soundtrack. I mean, you know, this is 1978 and it was just, you know, it was epic. Uh, and, you know, the, I don't know what to say about Olivia Newton-John that, um, that isn't sort of self-evident. She's just, she's such, and, and going back and watching the videos of her as I did, you know, she's just such a babe. Such a babe. Oh my goodness. We, I've seen in the past couple of days, people have sent me videos. One was uh, Matt Waltz sent a video of her from 1965 singing a Beatles song. I can't, I can't remember now. 60, if it, 1965, she would have been like, 20 something early teens i mean not early teens like late teens and then my Mm. daughter called up this video she's like mom look at how unbelievably 80s this is and it was this crazy video on stage of olivia newton john uh bet midler um meryl streep Cher, goldie hawn and i don't know one or two others and they're singing they're singing um uh, what the Louis Armstrong uh, 
wonderful world. And they're all like switching off. And Olivia Newton-John is such a freaking babe in this video. Her hair actually looks like shining sunshine gold. And she's just absolutely like the prettiest thing you've ever seen. She also happens to have like, I mean, Bette Midler has a pretty incredible voice, but but her voice was so, so it's sweet. It's so clear. It's and so, so clear. clear. Yeah. I, I have a confession. You're not, you're going to probably cancel this podcast when I tell you this, but I'm sorry to tell you, I've never seen Greece. What the <laughs> hell just <laughs> happened? <laughs> What the hell just happened? I don't, I don't know what to tell you. How the, how the hell do you go this far into your life and not see Greece? I don't know. I also just, okay, can I, I will watch it, but let me tell you something. I also watched, because there were two other like dancey movies I'd never seen, which were Footloose and um, what's the other dancing one with Patrick Swayze. Oh, Dirty Dancing. Oh, Dirty Dancing. I had never seen either of those. So I watched each of those like earlier in the year under different circumstances. And I disliked each of them so much. They were so bad, so bad that I was just like, okay, I guess I'll get to Greece, but I ha- I have, I'm sure it's going to be better because Olivia Newton-John is in it and, and John Travolta, who I got to say is, is kind of, kind of great. Um, you know, I, are you one of these people that just ha- doesn't like musicals? No, that's not true. I, I, well, maybe I am. I, no, I'm not. I like musicals, but I guess I don't seek them out. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to know what I would think about Greece at the age, you know, seeing it now. But if you know, but if you see this movie when you're seven years old, I mean, this is yeah. something that makes a huge yeah. imprint on you. Um. Sandy in the you know finale Sandy in her in her black pants that she had to be sewn in because they were so tight they actually had to sew them on her body I loved I loved that oh my god yeah. they, they didn't have spandex back then right? no so. no um so I actually put together um uh, some Olivia Newton-John trivia if you would oh, I love it me. I love you yes please um okay Okay, so um, you know who knows. Let's just—we don't expect you to to take home a million dollars here, but let's just learn a little bit about Olivia Newton-John. Despite being known as an Australian, what country was Olivia Newton-John born in? Uh, Scotland. Close. <laughs> Close. I, she was born I, in England. Okay. She All moved right. to Australia when she was six years old. Okay. Okay. Olivia Newton-John's grandfather was a famous A, singer, B, politician, or C, physicist? Politician. Physicist. Her grandfather was Max Born who was a German physicist and mathematical inst- and mathematician who um, worked in quantum mechanics. And he won the 1954 Nobel Prize in physics. Oh, my God. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Olivia Newton-John's first international hit was If Not For You in 1971. And this was a cover of a song by A, Elton John, 
B, Bob Dylan, or C, John Denver? Bob Dylan. You are correct. If not for you. I've actually heard Dylan sing it. So, yeah. She is on the board, ladies and gentlemen. Finally. Um, Okay. Which Mormon teen songbird was originally offered the role of Sandy in Greece, but turned it down for moral reasons? Marie Osmond. You got it. Come on. I, I, I told you in an earlier episode, I once lied and said the Osmonds were my cousins, okay, when I was like in fourth grade. So just let's let's be frank. Okay. Okay. How old was Olivia Newton-John when she starred in Greece? 25. 29. Oh, okay. Um, John Travolta was 24. Stockard Channing was 33. Stockard Channing was a was a was a fixture of like 1970s made for TV for ABC movies. Okay, I sorry, I got to digress for one second. No, sorry. Okay, let's go with the test. Keep going. Keep going. No. I, all I'm saying is this is one of the uh, oldest casts to play teenagers in in modern film history. I don't oh, think there- you'll see anybody who's 29 or 33 playing a teenager anymore. No. No. Um okay, what soundtrack went double platinum? and spawned five top 20 hits. Despite the movie flopping so badly, it actually helped to inspire the Razzies, which is the Oscars of bad movies. And I'm assuming Olivia Newton-John is in it. Xanadu? That is correct. Xanadu also happens to be your co-host's very favorite soundtrack, the one that I was absolutely obsessed with when I was seven years old. I got to get it. And I continue to be the B-side of Xanadu, which is primarily done by ELO. Uh, I saw them, by the way, two years ago in college. Oh, did you really? Yes, I did. Oh, I'm totally jealous. Yes, I did in in Portland. And I went, I had a friend that was going to go with me and then he couldn't go. So I went by myself and that was totally fine. Yeah, it's an absolutely stunning um, soundtrack. And the ELO stuff would make it one of my favorites uh, on its own. But the number one hit from that album was Magic, which is just an absolutely wonderful song. Um, That that one happens to be... uh, Olivia Newton-John, written by her songwriting partner, John Farrar, who was the husband of her former uh, singing partner, Pat Farrar. When she was a teenager, she was in a a duo. Um, And anyway, uh, Pat's husband became her songwriting partner. And uh, okay, what hit song by Olivia Newton-John was banned by two Utah radio stations due to its racy sexual themes. Let's get physical, physical. You got you it, babe. Get, Okay, okay. I got to tell you, I, I, I called up that video the day of the day because on Paloma Media, which you guys should all go and subscribe to, palomamedia.com. We got a new look. Looks really good over there. We were all kind of like swapping on the slack. I went and found the Let's Get Physical. I, I, I'll just put a link to it and it, we'll just let the uh, listeners decide uh, who they think this video was aimed at. <laughs> oh, oh, that is so LGBTQ plus friendly. Oh boy, is it. <laughs> it's it's also just like, it's sort of like the age of videos where it wasn't the very beginning when everyone was just kind of like punk rock, like what are we going to do? It's like, oh no, we've got this now. And it just looks sort of like so terrible, but also so hilarious. And it's just like, like every six seconds, she's in a different costume. It's just, it's, it's crazy. I'll put a link. 
Um, which Married with Children star was once a backup singer for Olivia Newton-John? Oh, it's going to be the lead actress. I just, I'm, oh God, I should know. We used to, I used to cater her show when I was pregnant. I used to cater Married with Children. Oh, and she was great. She was great in that motorcycle. Uh, I'm going to give this to you. You are correct. It's yes. Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal. Did you see, what was it called? The Lord's, what was it called? The That motorcycle gang show where she was the mother. Oh yeah. Sons of Anarchy. Oh my Sons God. Sons of Anarchy. That was a really good series. And she was amazing. She was amazing in it. Horrible. Oh man. That was, I, I forgot about that. That was a good, that was my husband and I watched that together. We, we liked that. Yep. In 1992, at the age of 44, Olivia Newton-John went public with what painful piece oh. of personal information prior to a gossip magazine story that was about to run? That she had breast cancer. Yep. She went yeah. public with breast yeah. cancer because there was a gossip magazine piece that was going to spread it to the world. And she didn't want to tell people, but she didn't want them to be freaked, her family to be freaked out by the gossip news hitting the stands. So she went public with it and she became a champion for yeah. that and, and a really early advocate. Um, for 30 years, she was uh, a spokesperson for this. Um, she has an amazing legacy as a performer, but her impact in terms of helping people with breast cancer and spreading awareness of that are quite profound. She opened the, um, she helped open the Olivia Newton-John Cancer Wellness and Research Center in Melbourne. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. I remember that very well. It really was, you know, I think, well, first of all, uh, we're a lot more open now about, yep. you know, illness yep. and, and people come and they, and they talk about it. But I, I'm sure we had many, 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 many famous people who, women who died of breast cancer, but you never spoke about it. It's sort of like when Betty Ford went, um, when she went public with her addiction, all Absolutely. of a sudden it was like, okay, we can actually start talking about this. And I do, even though it was like 1992 and you think like, well, that's just, why weren't people open? Well, they weren't. And she was, it was very much the case that she was like, wow, people listened and were grateful. And it did start a bigger conversation about breast cancer. I remember that very well. Very well. Yep. All right. That was our, yay. Yay. Um, well, I actually think that um, segues a little bit nicely into just something we just want to touch on a little bit. Yep. When you said that, um, you know, this gossip magazine was going to come out with this. And, and in a way that's sort of, I mean, to my mind, it's just really lacks a lot of grace about a very, very difficult situation to like just break this news without, you know, this person, this is happening to a person and her family and her children. And to, I understand people like to rubberneck and there's a salacious quality and we're all interested in what movie stars and everything do, but it is not a very good look and it's not a very good policy. And I want to bring that up because we had someone who I did know, do not know a lot about, but who apparently the actress Anne Heche was in a very, very, very serious car crash last week or earlier in the week. Uh, like my understanding is she's got significant brain injuries and also terrible burns. And um, she's not expected to survive. They're talking about um, her organ donation right now. And um, apparently what happened is that she's had problems with alcohol and and maybe with drugs. I don't know about that part. And it's just, you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah. And there was a vodka bottle in her car. And and it's sort of, I obviously have not been following this woman's trajectory. I know about enough, about as much 
I know about as much about her as the next person, probably. I remember she was a kind of famous actress in the, I guess, in the earlier mid-90s. I know that she either married or had a long relationship with Ellen DeGeneres. I know that she was kind of considered a wacky person, in a sense. But apparently, she's had something of a of a long decline that we are now sort of reading about. And I, I, I get the titillation, I guess, but it just strikes me to watch a public figure and to understand their decline. I, it just makes me feel profoundly sad. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you, you kind of agreed with me here. And we'd read an article earlier in the week about another somewhat celebrity whose name I will never remember. So I'm going to leave that to you. Um, <laughs> Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. Um, and and he, this in, was it in the cut? Where was it? Or no, it was in um, Vox? Where, where did they no, chart No, that him? was in the cut. Yeah, it was a timeline of cut. Ezra Miller, the Ezra Miller um, situation, which has just been declining and is very, very, um, uh, just has a very dark energy around it. Uh, he's he he starred as The Flash and he's been in a whole bunch of other sort of uh, maybe somewhat interesting films, some interesting characters. Parks of the very, Wallflower was one of them that brought him to a lot of attention. He's, he's a, he's Parks a very a interesting looking person. He's an unusually kind of, a, when he was before, I guess, a lot of his troubles, I, I said to you, I remember years ago when I was in Hollywood, when I was reading scripts for a living, um, someone at an agency said, well, the main thing that you're looking for in a young star is fuckability. They, they said this to me about why Keanu Reeves was so, um, was so successful uh, at, at, at the, at the, out of the gate. And, um, you know, when you look at Ezra Miller as a very young, before he, all these troubles, he's very compelling looking character. And I could see if that was a characteristic, not, not for me, he was like a kid. He's, he's very young still, but, um, uh, he's, his, his decline is it's, it's, I mean, it looks to me, there's just an amazing amount of drug issues there and, and maybe mental illness. And anyway, I, 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 it's just, it's just not, it's, it's unbecoming to look at these people that are, that are melting down in public and somehow not, feel compassion is is unbecoming it seems mm-hmm. to me so. well and I, I wonder if I will use this to segue to the uh, Depp heard unsealed documents oh boy I know nothing so please hit us, hit, us, you, hit us with all of it do you remember a little a little case called Depp v heard I think so yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this was something that I, I, so about a week ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, a, an attorney who's been one of these law tube figures that was covering the trial, her name is Andrea Burkhart. Um, she had paid money to get uh, some unsealed documents from the Fairfax Circuit Court. And she had crowdsourced this. You know, this is somebody that had been pro-DEP. She had heard a lot of these stories that were being, um, you know, Amber and her counsel were saying on the news, saying that, you know, a lot of evidence, you know, had been kept out of the court and she would have went to trial otherwise. And so she became curious uh, she crowdsourced this money. Uh, there were 6,600 pages of documents. Wait. Wow. And this is mostly like the, uh, the pre-trial arguments over what's going to appeal, what's going to be in the trial. 
right? What's going to be admissible? What's going to be admissible, right, right. So this is them going back and forth on discovery. Um, And, you know, when when she first did her 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 first uh, you know when she looked through it she kind of said like you know there's nothing really here um that we didn't know before but actually these all these documents again 6600 pages have given i think especially amber heard's side an opportunity to pick out certain details and spin them very much for her favor. And I think there's really, we're really starting to see a little bit more of a pro Amber push. Um, You know, since these unsealings, um, a few, there's reports that celebrities have unliked uh, Johnny Depp's Instagram post where he, you know, from a couple months ago where he talked about winning the trial. So this is like Robert Downey Jr. and Bella Hadid and Amanda Knox. The the implication here is that they're trying to distance themselves from him. And you started to see hashtags trending like Amber is owed an apology. Whatever is going on here, you know, and and and, and by the way, I've I've spent a while trying to figure out <laughs> what's in these sixty six hundred pages of documents, and just like everything else in this trial, if you go to one side, they're going to tell you this, and if you go to the other side, they're going to tell you that. This is again a real legacy media versus YouTube media uh, flame war. And from from what I can tell, there's stuff in these documents that doesn't shed, you know, flattering light on either of them. I mean, for instance, this this has uh, information that <clears throat> Heard's sister's workmate had, you know, reported the story that Heard's sister said she cut off Johnny Depp's finger. Um, and, it, but it, at the same time, it also has uh, stuff that says, Johnny Depp's assistant said that he kicked her. I mean, I, I, there's stuff that didn't get into the trial, but most of it was known because of the UK trial, because of other sources. So a lot of this stuff wasn't really um, wasn't really new information. I'll tell you, these are the, the two pieces of new information for me. Um, one was this argument over whether or not Johnny Depp had intended to bring up uh, Amber Heard stripper past. I've never heard about her stripper past. Right. So, you know, so what we saw, so there was a very, uh, there was a tweet that went viral. Uh, it was from a woman named Chateau Bunny. I don't know anything about her and I don't know where she got all this information, but on the day these leaked, I mean, she had one of these like 10 point threads that has all sorts of information. I mean, you know, like basically what I see happening is that Herd's side is really organizing well. And they have decided to use the tools of social media to get their point across. And so this thread pulls out several pieces of information. And, and when is of- the thread? When is the thread? Is the thread new or was it? before the trial or during the trial? The thread is from like a week and a half ago. Okay. okay. So it's fr- it, it comes out right after the documents are unsealed. Okay. okay. And it's basically saying like, these are all the things you didn't know about like, 
like Johnny Depp. And and okay. the spin here is uh, and I, and I think that there's reason to think this is true is that um, you know look Johnny Depp fans spent thirty three hundred dollars to unseal these documents and it's blowing up in their face. Um, so, because there's all these you, unfavorable so, things that are coming out. And quick, so one of the things that, that they're saying is that, uh, he wanted to use her stripper past and possibly some pictures from n- nude photos of her, uh, in evidence. And this is being spun as basically the, you know, he wanted to, this was revenge porn. He knew that it was going to be televised. And so he wanted to put up photos. Um, But if you look at what the document is, um, this is actually a motion from her side. You know, they had, they had both given up their, um, or like he had given up his phone. And so pictures have been submitted and one of them was a nude photo. And so her lawyer says, you know, you're not allowed to use these nude photos and you're not allowed to talk about her stripper past. And then in the rebuttal from his lawyer, it says, you know, actually, we don't intend to bring up her stripper past and we're not going to use the nude photos unless it becomes important in rebuttal um, to say that, like, there are no visible bruises, for instance, during this time period. Right. So it's a little bit more complicated than what's being spun online, because what they're doing in this Twitter thread is they're using the motions that were filed by her side to keep things out of court. But some of these motions were ones that they lost. So in this thread, for instance, it accuses Johnny Depp of um, of altering the images and says that there, there are uh, certain like stamps like stamps on the metadata but what we know is actually that those those stamps come from when you send a photo when you when you do anything and these were problems with her metadata as well but uh and, and so this is why the motion gets kicked out um so, so quick it, question yes. just before you go on so this Attorney Burkhart crowdsources, they get these documents, 6,600 pages of documents. How, how is everybody seeing them? Like, did she put them all, make them available? So she made them available. To anybody, um, basically. Yes. I got it. Yes. I got it. So got anybody it. can it. see them. But my sense is that most people, of the coverage was being driven by some of these early tweets. Um, and, and they happened so fast. It was like, you couldn't possibly have gone through 6,600. Like, like who is this woman Chateau bunny that had gone through 6,600 pages and, you know, and slapped down this, this Twitter thread. You're saying she was prepared. She yeah. was prepared to release this Twitter thread when there was something that could corroborate what she was saying, or could she could she could like hitch onto what she was saying? See what I'm saying? I'm, like, yeah, I'm saying she was prepared um, to basically spin those unsealed documents as being very damning to Johnny Depp, and you know, I. 
it's it's unclear. Did did he at one point want to use her stripper? Pa- did he want to bring that up? I don't know, but it's not in those documents. What we see in the documents is her, her like her side saying you can't use these, and him saying, "Well, yeah, I wasn't going to." So uh, you obviously, obviously, you wrote the story about the Depp Heard case, which we will reprint, and which I will just say again: I think you were the only journalist in the country that did that. And I love you for it. And you worked hard on it. Um, got a lot of opinion pieces, but you just did the shoe leather journalism. Yay, Sarah Hepla. Um, is there going to is there going to be more? Do we have more court cases ahead of us for Deb Heard? I mean, someone said I'm going to. What, what's that called? You're going to. Uh, what's that called when you when you say you want to go back to court? Sorry, I have no language. So so she's filed an appeal. Appeal. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Yeah. So she's filed an appeal. And what the lawyers that I've seen go through this information say is that these documents do not give grounds for an appeal. Um, Okay. We'll see. But wasn't she? Okay. My recollection is she was already planning to file an appeal. Now these have just come out and they're like, well, aha, now, see, we're going to do the appeal because of these. But they'd already planned to appeal, right? Didn't she say They've she already was going to appeal yeah. right, right away? Okay. Yeah. Well, where, where are they going to do it? Are you going to, wherever it is, you got to go. Well, <laughs> well, they're appealing and uh, don't they, uh, you know, would it be the same place? Wouldn't it be? I, I don't know. I'll have to ask our lawyer friends. I know. Um, I don't know. I know. I don't know. So, so anyway, I don't want to tarry too long here. Um, you know, basically what I do see is uh, public opinion trending a little bit more toward Amber. And I think that's only logical given how overwhelming the the noise on the depth side was and how obnoxious a lot of the depth fans were. Um and, you know, and, and the treatment of Amber Heard was um, awful. It was absolutely awful. Um, but I have to say, I don't see a lot of stuff in these, from what I've spent time, like I, I spent like three hours listening to a lawyer going through this. Um <laughs> It was. We're here for you, listeners. Oh my god, <laughs> you guys! And I and and I and I came out of it just sort of like, why do I do this? Do I why do don't I just do what everybody else does and just repeat the Twitter thread? You know, like and just jump on that. Do you do it in um, your car? Do you listen like driving? We started like, do you listen while driving in your car so you can like have both the sort of sense of space and movement, or you just like sit at your house and listen to it's this? It's both. It's both because okay. these things okay. are like three hours hours long so um you know but uh yeah I mean look this this story I think a lot of people are sick of I'm sure that as I'm talking about this there are listeners of ours that are saying like I don't care anymore they've already turned off they've already turned turned go away um and in fact when these unsealed documents first hit I kind of had the same feeling because uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in this in this um, morass, and I, you know, I didn't necessarily want to go back, but I, I eventually got kind of sucked into it because I, I found the drama evolving between these two different sides to be kind of interesting, and 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 the way that um, 
that her side, you know, she was somebody that uh, maybe a month ago seemed like her career was over. And I think she is going to see a a little bit of a resurgence. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that will that will back her. Um, And and. And they're and and I think they're becoming a lot bolder and feeling more emboldened by things like this. It may also be the case that, not to continue a theme, but uh, that you know the debt people kind of shot their wad, like they they yeah. just were so. And now it's like there's other things to like move on to. And speaking of that, so I Sarah Heppala have been completely out of pretty much every loop. Like I've barely tweeted. I just have, I've been like swamped writing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of words, which then got crunched down so it could fit in the publication. But in any case, what else have you been following in the news this week? I mean, I obviously I'm keeping a, a, a bit of an eye on the whole Mar-a-Lago Trump thing, which is oh, yeah, interesting. That thing. I will, uh, I'll put a link to uh, David French who like, I, God bless David French. He's just one of our best thinkers and he's so even tempered, but he wrote a really good piece for the French press about like, listen, guys, do not, first of all, A, don't jump to any conclusions. Both sides are jumping to conclusions. Both sides are using this for their own. Of course, we're shocking for their own political ends and reasoning and cherry picking, but he had a really, some really, really good points and, I, and I'll put a, a link to that. So I'm keeping an eye on that. I have not been paying attention to like any news, whether it's celebrity news or cultural news or news news. So is there anything you've been paying attention to that you can uh, tell me about? No, no. I mean, you know, I I spent way too much time on these other rabbit holes. Obviously, the Trump thing is fascinating. Um, But I I, I, I saw one thing this morning. Um, I know that Merritt Garland apparently called Trump's bluff. And I, and I, I think Trump is a master of, of provocation, as we know. And the fact that he was in New York and, uh, and basically announced it. And he's like, I am totally for releasing these documents and seeing why the heck they went and, you know, and, you know, raided my house and even went into my safe. And I guess Merrick Garland got up yesterday and said, yeah, okay, fine, great. We're going to do that. So they, the, I guess, I don't know if it's DOJ, somebody has till three o'clock to decide whether, uh, why the warrant was issued will be released. But then I saw some weird article that I clicked on, it said it actually has to do with like nuclear weaponry. And I read the whole article and there was nothing else in it. Like, like, well, how can you say in the lead that this has something to do with yeah. like nuclear weapons, but that you don't wait, what? So uh, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, he's, he's just, I mean, continuing his, his spot, if not center stage, then to the side of it, being able to capture, um, capture the imagination of, of those in politics that are still just gunning for this guy or or supporting this guy. So this will be an interesting story to watch. Um, one th- Nancy, or- I forgot. I have one more question in your yes. Um, yes. trivia. Tell you me. have one more trivia question? Yes. What is the name of our podcast? The name of our podcast, which I, I don't think Olivia Newton-John named, but she would have had we given her the opportunity, is called Smoke Em If You Got Em. That's right, babe. Um. Yes. I need to be bolting in a minute. So let's go on to one, two, three. What's in your hot box? box? (laughs) Okay, I'll be quick. Um, I'm sorry to tell everybody. It's another baseball thing. I got a little hooked on baseball. You and your baseball. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Also, I I literally have had no, as I just prefaced, I've had no time to do anything. But I did throw a book in the car, which is by Roger Kahn called The Boys of Summer, the classic narrative of growing up within shooting distance of Ebbets Field, covering the Jackie Robinson Dodgers, and what's happened to everybody since. So two quick things. 
Number one, when I was in Kansas City, Missouri, I was told that just a few miles from where I was was the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum or Museum of History. Guys, if you're in Kansas City, Missouri, go. It was unbelievably beautiful, moving, simple, uh, profound, uh, funny, and just great in every way. And there were grandmas there and there were little kids there. And it was just, it was really, 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 really good. And it, and it tells the story of, of, of the Negro Leagues and then like moving into having Blacks play in the majors. And I loved it. And you should definitely go. It's worth a stop. But the book is not just interesting about baseball. It's really this guy becoming a journalist, starting to work for the... Um, Herald Tribune, I guess in the late 40s, early 50s. And there's just like 50 pages of what it was like to be a copy boy and be yelled at by all these like old school kind of journalists like you would expect. And it's all dudes, except for like the occasional woman who's like super salty. And for a journalist, it's super great fun to read his sort of tutelage and coming up. And um, I'm really enjoying it. And it's also sort of kind of a great a great book to read on the road. Um, so I recommend uh, The Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn. And I will I'll stick it in the show notes. What's in your hot box, lady? Well, you know what? Before I tell you, I want to say that I'm looking for a novel to read. I'd love any suggestions that people have for like a big immersive novel that you can kind of get lost in. I finished The Thornbirds. I give it a B minus. Um, it got a little bit soapy in there. It was a little bit long and pulpy. I thought it was going to be a little bit more serious, which was probably my folly. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was not. So anyway, um, but I love those books that you just kind of like disappear into. I love family dramas. I love funny things. Um, you know, so, and, and anything that give me your best immersive multi-character or just, you know, any book that you get lost in. I'd love, I'd love to so I have one, which it's funny. Uh, people like didn't love it a lot. I got completely sucked into Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch. I just that book ripped for me. Fascinating. I, did you have you read Donna Tartt? No, I haven't. No, um, okay. I, I I love the Secret History, but yeah. uh, but you but did yeah, read, you, Goldfinch you, is very people are very hot or cold on it. And exactly, it's, very, it's sort yeah. of like um Jonathan um. What's his name? Uh, who wrote? Uh, God, I literally have no language this morning. You have to. I apologize. Ay, ay, ay. Give me a hint because there's a lot of Jonathans. Jonathan Franzen. Jonathan Franzen. Leatham. Jonathan Franzen. Jonathan Franzen. The his gigantic fat book. The corrections. From, the corrections. Okay. Oh, so, one of my favorites. One of my absolute okay. favorites. I totally I, love the corrections. I loved. I that was another book. I fell headlong into that book. I felt it was one of the, I've, I've read two or three novels like this. I felt like that book, it was running and I was running next to it. It was just like this absolute like, ooh, ooh. I have friends who hate that book I do so too. much. And one of them sat down with me and said, okay, Nancy, just sit for a minute and let me read you this paragraph. And she read the paragraph and it was terrible. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I, I, know. I, I loved that. I love that book too, and I love Freedom too, and I actually really I loved his last book. Um, I think it's called Crossroads. Um, you know, I fall into a Franzen book. Like I don't know. I yeah. maybe uh, anyway. Um, but no. Okay. So what's in my hot box? I yeah. am watching a little Netflix series. It's like a I think it's like a three part docu series about Woodstock '99. Do you remember this? Yeah. 
fiasco. I had completely forgotten about this music festival that happened in 1999. And it was this kind of like debacle where, you know, like it was, um, they had it. Like it, it basically takes you through all the ways that this music festival that was meant to evoke the, you know, obviously classic Woodstock festival um, went wrong, starting with holding it at a military base, starting with charging everyone four dollars for water and taking their water as they came in. So it was a complete ripoff that it's like 100 degrees outside. There's no shade at all. And, you know, the musical acts are are like corn, limp biscuit, kid rock. So there's this, you know, like the vibe there is like incredibly aggro. And this is building over days. Um, and it's this money grab, you know, when people are starting to turn against it. And it's this really, I actually, you know, I'd completely forgotten about it, but I remember reading articles, you know, about about basically the crowd turning against the festival. Um, I, 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 I barely remember it, but I, there's, a, there's a good journalist. He writes really interesting stuff for the New York Post. I'll put a link. His naked name is Zachary Kusin. I follow him on Twitter. We've never met, but we have a lot of New York friends. But I did see this tweet he put up yesterday that said, Woodstock 99 will never stop being a total embarrassment for central New York. And um, it just sounds like absolute hell on earth. Well, I mean, can I tell you, I hate mass festivals anyway. Yeah, me too. Like, yeah. I really, really don't like them. I'm very uncomfortable with them. Uh, I don't like being around that many people. Uh, it makes me, the whole thing makes me nervous. It's a, every Everything about it is unpleasant. So watching this is just like unpleasant times 10 because everything about this is like, I don't want to be any part of this thing. I don't like, I do not like when I see like, you know, pictures of crowds, like 300,000 people. Like I literally am like, I never would go there. I can't be in a crowd like that. I can't be in the midst of a lot of people. I always, if I have to be, I'm always like toward the edge. Like no matter what, I'm walking like toward the edge of people. I was at a Rammstein, which is a great band, <laughs> up in uh, in uh, Tacoma, Washington once. And I, they started doing these pyrotechnics on stage. Like it wasn't that big an arena. And I actually thought the place was going to catch on fire. I was so close to the exit door. My husband was laughing at me so hard. He's like, Nancy, it's part of the show. I'm like, no, 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 I'm out of here. So yeah, I can't. And to have no water. Oh my God. This is just, it's like my idea of hell. Literally being in a crowd and thirsty. This is my idea of hell. So, so but you know, like I like the, the pop culture hit of it, you know, like being taken back to 1999. Um, you know, Jewel is interviewed. Gavin Rossdale is interviewed. Uh, fat boy slim, you know, you're just kind of like, wow. Oh my God, what era? We are just, you've just pushed us back. Um, I know. Yeah. So anyway, it's, will, it's fun. Okay. So, and then the next thing we're going to try to watch, I want to watch, um, we want to watch The Last Movie Stars. About, the Last uh, Movie Stars. We're going to watch that and discuss that. Paul tried, Newman and Joanne Woodward. I tried to watch last night, but neither my daughter nor I could remember our HBO Max passwords. So we couldn't. The <laughs> Modern <laughs> Dilemma. What's that password? And she's a young person. I was like, aha, it's not just me. So, um, okay, Sarah, I'll let you get onto your meetings and I'm going to get onto my day. Guys, um, 
first of all, thanks to all the new subscribers. I don't know if we kind of mentioned somewhere if on somebody else's podcast, but we had a slew of new subscribers. Thank you so, so much. Um, please uh, tell your friends to go and subscribe. And if you haven't and you're hearing this, please do. If you want to pay for a subscription, I mean, we love you, but we'll love you even more. Um, that's about all the news I have right now. What about you? Anything else, Sarah Heppel? Oh, we should be looking out for your um for your September issue, which should sure. be out like on the stands very soon. Because Probably like next week. Yeah. Yeah. I have a quick, very quick story before we go. My daughter and I went to go see the Vogue uh, movie about Anna Wintour, the se- September issue, but we were late. We ran in. It was at, at a multiplex and we're watching and like, there's all these like cows being slaughtered and we're like, God, is just isn't like what we thought the movie would start out like. It turned out to be Michael Moore's Meat is Murder. <laughs> Not the September issue. The very different. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, Sarah Hepla. I'll see you soon. See you soon, everyone. Bye. Bye. 